As we've walked through the Gospel of Luke, we've seen uh, repeated uh, images and themes talking about Jesus' kingship. Uh, We've seen uh, constant references to the kingdom of God. Uh, And so that leads to questions. Well, if Jesus is king, then when is he reigning and ruling Uh, And that leads to questions about, well, what is the kingdom of God like? And the way Scripture speaks of His kingdom is, uh, in one sense, the kingdom has already come. uh, But Scripture also speaks, uh, in another sense, that there is a coming kingdom. And so our sermon is titled, The Kingdom Now and the Kingdom to Come. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 17. So we continue on in the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to read verses 20 through 37 from Luke 17, and then I'll pray for us. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, See here or there, for you see, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he told the disciples, The days are coming. When you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. They will say to you, see there or see here. Don't follow or run after them. For as the lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and lights up the sky, so the Son of Man will be in his day. But first it is necessary that he suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People went on eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a man on the housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down to get them. Likewise, the man who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night... Two will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord? They asked him. He said to them, where the corpse is, where the corpse is, there also the vultures will be gathered. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We confess your word as true again. And we ask, Lord, that you help us understand, help us believe, and help us respond as you would have us respond. Holy Spirit, work for that purpose now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as we look at the text today, we're going to primarily focus on the 
uh, details of Jesus' kingdom that are discussed here in this portion of Luke 17. There are certainly many references to Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' return, the kingdom of God in lots of places in Scripture. And we're not going to be able to dig into all of those aspects that are covered. Uh, we certainly aren't going to be able to dig into all the different ways you could interpret these things because there are faithful, orthodox interpretations that that look at these passages differently, uh, interpret these passages differently about timing, about different elements of that. And we're not going to get too far into that today. What we're going to focus on is what Luke 17 has that we can all hold to uh, as true and what we should be expecting and looking forward to. So, the first thing we see in Luke 17 in this passage is this. Jesus' kingdom was inaugurated during his life and ministry. Jesus' kingdom was inaugurated during his life and ministry. Let's look back at verses 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, see here or there. For you see, the kingdom of God is in your midst. We've seen repeatedly throughout his ministry, the Pharisees following around and asking questions of Jesus. And so there's been discussions about uh, about the kingdom of God. There's been questions about, uh, is he the king? People are saying he's the one. Uh, and so the Pharisees come with this question, well then, when's the kingdom of God coming? Uh, I don't know how many of you saw this story after the death of Queen Elizabeth II. It was from an event that had happened uh, about maybe 10 years ago, uh, and during the days after Queen Elizabeth's death, I saw several people share the story. Richard Griffin was one of the royal protection officers and served several years uh, alongside of the Queen. And he told a story wanting to kind of share just a, a little detail about her personality uh, and Richard Griffin shared that one time they were out on a picnic, which was a common practice when she would go out to one of their holiday homes. They would go out and have a picnic, and she would only take out the royal protection officer that was assigned to her that day. And she would enjoy a picnic, and they, he said, we rarely ever saw anybody on these picnics. But one day we were out on a picnic and there were two hikers that came towards us. Uh, and the queen was always very friendly and always talked with people. And so she went up and started speaking to these two hikers and we learned that they were Americans. And we learned quickly, he said, that they had no clue that she was the queen. And so they're discussing things, they're having conversations, and they said, well, do you live near here? And she says, well, I actually live in London, uh, but I do have a holiday house not far from here. And they said, well, how long have you been coming? And she said, honestly, I've been coming here for almost 80 years. 
And they said, wow, in all that time, we've heard the queen has a place not far from here. Have you ever met her? And the queen just kind of smiled and she said, you know what? I've never met her coming up here. But Dick here meets with her all the time. And they were amazed by this. And they're like, really? Well, what's she like? And he just kind of looks over at her for a second and he says, you know what? She can be quite cantankerous. But she does have a really good sense of humor. And they're like, wow, that's amazing. And all of a sudden he said, I've, he turned and he pulled up close to me and he hands the queen his phone and, or his camera and says, would you please take a picture of me with him? I want to show my friends and family that we met someone who knows the queen. And so they took the picture of these American tourists with the royal protection officer. And the royal protection officer, Richard Griffin, said, you know what, you should take a picture with her as well. And they took the picture and they went on their way on the rest of their hike. And they were waving as they walked off. And the queen said, I wish I could be a fly on the wall. Right? When they show those pictures to family and friends, and I hope someone tells them, who I am. I was reminded of that story this week. Right? They're talking with the queen. They're in the presence of royalty. And they had no clue at all. And the reason I was reminded of that story is because of the question of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are speaking with the king. They're speaking with the king of kings. And they have no clue. They're missing it. And it's a, a much more grave error, right? Maybe a slight embarrassment to find out, oh, wow, I had the queen take my picture. I didn't even know it was her. It's a much more grave error to be mistaken on the identity of Jesus Christ. And so the, the Pharisees are asking Jesus about the coming of God's kingdom, and they don't even know that they were talking with the king. Remember Gabriel's words to Mary in Luke 1, verse 32 to 33, as he's announcing, predicting the birth of Jesus. The angel tells her this, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Jesus was the promised Messiah. He's the son of David who would rule on the throne of David. And he would have a rule that would last for an eternity. And so Jesus' reply to the Pharisees back in verses 20 and 21 is telling them, you know what, you're kind of missing things. You're looking for some kind of sign. You're looking for some kind of event to be able to say, Oh, wow, the kingdom of God is finally here. And what you don't realize is the kingdom of God is already in your midst. Some of the translations of this phrase and other phrases in the gospel that, where Jesus says this same thing say, The kingdom of God is at hand. Right? So in one sense, because the, the presence of the king was there, because Jesus Christ was in their presence, then the kingdom of God had already been inaugurated. 
During his life, during his ministry, he had provided deliverance to people. He had provided demonstrations of power and that he was ruling in a way that others hadn't ever before. Many other things had taken place to show them that the kingdom actually was at hand. And so as people believed in Jesus Christ then his kingdom rule, in one sense, continued to spread in people in a spiritual sense. And today, we believers have that same reality. If we have trusted in Jesus Christ, the the rule of Christ spiritually is in our lives. Now, he rules regardless, right, whether we recognize him as king or not, but we are submitting to his authority and his rule if we are a follower of Jesus. Jesus' kingdom was inaugurated in his life and ministry, and so the question for us, church, is to ask, is Jesus really ruling in my life today? Maybe a better question I should ask myself is, what areas of my life have I not given to Jesus? What areas of my life am I maintaining control of, not wanting to submit to His rule? Because there are some for all of us, right? So is Jesus ruling in your life? His kingdom has come, and so we should submit to his rule. Now, however, there are questions that come out of that, right? Uh, There is scripture that talks about things about Jesus' kingdom that haven't taken place yet. And so that takes us from the kingdom now to the kingdom to come. So the second point that we see in Luke 17 is this. Jesus' kingdom will be fully realized at his second coming. Jesus' kingdom will be fully realized at his second coming. So let's read 22 through 25 back in Luke 17. Then he told his disciples, The days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. They will say to you, See there or see here. Don't follow or run after them. For as the lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and lights up the sky, so the Son of Man will be in his day. But first, it is necessary that he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Jesus is coming back. He's promised that, that he will Return, And so here in this section, he turns to his disciples and gives them some details, right? Remember, the the scene starts with him answering questions of the Pharisees about the kingdom of God. And now he turns specifically to the disciples and shares this with them. He says, there's going to be a time when you're going to long to be with me. There's going to be a time when you're going to long to see me. You're going to long to be in my presence again, but you won't. Uh, You won't see me for a time. 
And then he says that, you know, there, there will be reports. There will be questions of maybe God's at work over here. Maybe Jesus is doing something over there. Go look. Go see. He says, don't chase after those things. Because it's not going to be a secret when I do come back. It's not going to be some uh, thing that nobody's going to notice when I return. And he says, you won't miss it. I don't know, does anybody else love watching thunderstorms? I know, like, thunder and stuff can be terrifying uh, for some. I love watching storms build. I love watching, and maybe I'm weird. Well, I know I am in some sense. But So, uh, I love watching those big thunderhead clouds build up, and I love seeing the lightning. And I especially love when lightning, like, flashes across the sky. It's just like a spider web of it, and it fills the sky Like so much power, so much brilliance. I've stood at the window with my with my phone on slow motion video, just watching, trying to catch a slow motion video of one of those like spider web lightning bolts. Haven't happened yet. I've tried. I've wasted lots of time. But one day I hope to get it. I think it's fascinating. Jesus says, when I come back, it's going to be like that. The, the, there won't be any secret thing happening. It's going to be like when lightning starts on one end of the horizon and goes all the way across the sky and everything is lit up. That's what it's going to be like when I return. Of course, the fact that he's talking about when he returns... And he's talking about the fact that uh, they're going to be longing to see him again one day. He's telling them again, there is going to be a time that he won't be with them. He is going to go away for a period of time. And that's when we get to verse 25. I'll read it again. But first, it is necessary that he suffer many things. And be rejected by this generation. Remember we've talked about the turn in the gospel of Luke. That happened several chapters ago. Where he set his face on Jerusalem. He started his journey to Jerusalem. Where he is going to face rejection. Where he is going to be handed over. He will suffer many things. And then he is going to be crucified. And he is going to die. And so that is, again, what he's reminding his disciples. You're going to long to be near me, but I'm going to go away for a while. But he also has told his disciples, I'm coming again. I will return. And so we see that promise in John 14 Verse 1 to 3, and there are, of course, many other promises of his return throughout the New Testament. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you, I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. He's going to return. And so for his followers, we don't have to be troubled 
about the distance that we feel. We don't have to be troubled about the brokenness of this world because it is broken. We have hope because Jesus has promised that he is coming back. Paul, when he's speaking to Titus, uh, reminds Titus of that. And I love the language that he uses. So he's talking about pursuing godliness, right? We're, we're supposed to be pursuing a life of obedience and godliness of, to God's word. That's how we should be living. And he says this, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. His return for those of us who are followers of Jesus, those of us who have put our faith in Christ, is our blessed hope. It's the thing that we can hold on to when everything else is unraveling. We can say, but this is coming, right? This is going to happen. My Savior's coming back. That is a hope to cling to. And so Jesus is coming back, church. And when he does, his kingdom is going to be fully realized, fully consummated at his second coming. And so believers, for us, we wait for that, right? We look forward to that day. We long for that day, putting our hope in that and nothing else. He's coming back. Now, in addition to providing hope to his followers, there is also a warning that is provided. The warning is for all who have not trusted in him. And that takes us to our last uh, part of this text that we're going to be looking at today. The third point is this. Jesus' coming kingdom will bring divine judgment. Jesus' coming kingdom will bring divine judgment. So when he comes back, there is judgment coming. And yes, for those who are part of Christ, there's salvation, there's eternity in his presence. But the warning in this text is for those who are apart from him, there is divine judgment coming. We've seen the image before. In Jesus' teaching that has talked about that, the, the judgment to come when he returns, uh, the judgment that God will bring on the people that are apart from him. And the language that is used is, remember, the, the weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of torment, right, perishing. So, verse 26 to 37. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People went on eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be the same as it was during the days of Lot. People went on eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be like that on the day of the sun, the, on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a man on the housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down and get them to get them. Likewise, the man who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. 
Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord? They asked him. He said to them, where the corpse is, there also the vultures will be gathered. So verses 26 through 30, we saw Jesus use two Old Testament references. Two Old Testament references that talk about the judgment of God. And so in the days of Noah, where God brings judgment on the earth because of their wickedness, but Noah was saved. And he said in that day, people were just going about their lives. Not thinking about the things to come. They were just, you know, eating, drinking, getting married, marrying off family members, and not being prepared for what's to come. And then Noah entered the ark. And destruction came. Judgment came. And everyone else perished. And then the story of Lot. uh, Escaping out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot told to flee. And when Lot and his family flees from Sodom and Gomorrah, as they are leaving Sodom, fire rains down from heaven. There is divine judgment for the wicked. And so Jesus uses those two Old Testament stories that show the judgment of God on wickedness and says, it's going to be like that when I return. There are going to be people who are just living out their lives oblivious to what's to come. And then judgment will come. And it's not going to be that in that time you can say, okay, well now I'll I'll make the preparations. When Christ returns, it's too late to make preparations And so he is saying there is destruction that's coming. There is perishing that is coming for those who are apart from me. When I come, that is what can be expected, divine judgment. Verse 31 to 33, he's highlighting that importance of being ready. The warning, yes, this could be a terrifying passage if you are apart from Jesus Christ, but God in his love has provided a way of salvation and has provided a warning that says you do not need to wait. You need to be ready. And you don't need to be living in a way that's, that's causing you to cling to this world and what this world has to offer instead of thinking about what the next has to offer. And so he says that a man can't be on that day on his housetop And the return of Christ happen in him think, well, let me gather up some things because I really don't want to let go of what this world has to offer. Like that's not an option. If you're living for this world, you're not living for Jesus Christ. And the same thing, if you're in the field working, you can't say, but I, I, I want what I'm leaving behind. I don't want to let go of those things. You wouldn't be actually living for Christ If that was your heart. And he uses a reminder from the story of Lot. And says, don't forget what happened to Lot's wife 
If you're familiar with that story, they were instructed, as you leave Sodom, don't even look back. And she did. And the, the text implies like she looked back with a longing. Looked back with a longing for what they were leaving behind. And judgment came. She was turned into a pillar of salt. And so Jesus is saying, you know, the people of faith should be longing for Him and His return. Not longing for and wishing to preserve the things of this world. And he again uses that uh, statement or a similar statement that he's used before, saying like, you, you can't try to hold on to this life and save this life. If you do, you're going to lose it all. But if you're willing to lose it all for Jesus, you will find true life. You will be saved. And then in verse 34 to 37, Jesus points out again, there are going to be some that will be saved and there are going to be some that will perish. There will be some who face judgment because of their lives. And so he says there's going to be a time where some will be taken away and some will be left behind. And the disciples don't really quite understand that. They're thinking of a location. Like, okay, so he's saying he's coming back, and so where's he going to bring that judgment? Right? They're thinking of a, a city or a place that he's going to come, and, and there's going to be the, the people of that place destroyed. And Jesus doesn't answer directly. He just says where the corpse is. That's where the vultures are going to gather. And so it's... Judgment's coming for those that are apart from Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation talks about his return in this way. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and he, his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen, a sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. His, he will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ will return and he will bring divine judgment. So the people of faith will be saved. We don't have to be afraid. But there is judgment coming for those who are apart from Jesus Christ. The, the scripture goes on uh, in the next chapter of Revelation. We see Satan uh, 
Satan being defeated. We see uh, the beast and the false prophet being defeated. We see all people who are apart from Christ. It says everyone whose name was not found in the, the book of life were thrown into the lake of fire. And yes, that sounds terrifying. And yes, that does make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. It should. And if we're believers, that's really hard to think about because we have loved ones who don't believe. We have friends and neighbors who have not trusted in Jesus. And so this idea of the judgment coming is scary to think about. But Scripture is clear that He will come back. It's the one thing, church, that we have to hope in, to hold on to. But for those who are apart from Christ, judgment is coming. And so, with that warning that God's Word has given, make preparation now. If you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you could believe in Him and be saved. Don't live a life that only focuses on the now and not thinking about being prepared for the day when Jesus comes back. Don't treasure the things of this world. And so, let's set our hearts on Jesus Christ. And church, for us, let's also be faithful to share the warning of God's Word with others. Judgment is coming. And that should lead us to wanting to let our loved ones know. You don't have to face it. God's provided salvation for you. God has made a way for you to be made right with Him and brought into His family. And all you have to do is believe in His Son. Let's be faithful to tell others because judgment will come. And so we should be willing to warn others about that. Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. He did inaugurate His kingdom during His life and ministry. And so believing in him is how you can be saved. It is the only way that you can be saved. Salvation is available in him. He's coming back again, and those who have believed in him will be brought into his presence for eternity and be adopted into the family of God and enjoy the presence of God. And so if you want to receive salvation today, if you want to know more about what that means, we truly do believe these words that, that God has loved us enough to provide salvation, but we have to believe in His Son or we will face judgment. And so if you want to know about that, if you want to know about the way that you can that trust in Him, if you want to know more about the salvation that has been provided through Jesus Christ dying for your sins, I would love to be able to talk with you about that. Church, for us, let's remember to let the rule of Christ reign in all of our lives.
right? Let's rest in His righteousness that He has provided for us, right? None of us are good enough, but He has provided His righteousness for us who have believed in Him. So let's rest in that. Let's walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And let's cling to Jesus. Not the things of this world. Let's cling to Jesus as our Savior and Lord while we wait for His return. And until He does, let's be willing to share with others that salvation is available. That God loved us enough to send His Son for us. Let's pray. God, we do thank you again for your word. I pray for your church that we will find hope in the promise of Jesus' return. That it will help us have endurance while we wait for his return. I pray that we'll live with a sense of urgency and be faithful to sharing with the lost that salvation is available in Jesus Christ. Work in us for that purpose. And God, if there are any who have not trusted in Jesus yet, we pray that, Holy Spirit, you will be working now uh, to to cause them to question, to cause them to want to know more about the, the love and grace and mercy that's available in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.